In verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. And again, when we look at the flame of fire and the eyes that are burning, it's referring to indignation that the Lord has tolerated something for a long time and now He's saying it has to be dealt with now. God is so patient. He's slow to anger. He gives man the opportunity to read the writing on the wall and to change. He doesn't jump in every time we make a mistake saying, what are you doing right now? He doesn't do that. He just gives you time. And, you know, there's times I've done stuff and months later it dawns on me exactly what I said or exactly what I did. And I'm like going, oh, what an idiot. How could have I said that or done that? And I'm so thankful that I was able to come to that change of heart on my own. I didn't have somebody jumping down my throat right after it happened. And God is this kind of God who is so slow to anger. Now, the problem with this is God is so slow in His anger and He so gives man so much time to repent and so much time to change that often people think that God didn't notice or that God doesn't really care or that God's really not paying attention. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, God had set up a certain way they were to live and a certain way they were to serve God and serve one another. One of the things that they were to do was every seventh year, they were to, it was a type of tithe they were to give to God. It was actually called a tithe. That every seventh year, they would not work their land. It would actually be a whole year's vacation. All year long, they were just to take off, go on a trip, enjoy themselves. It was also called the year of Jubilee. It was a year that everybody's debts was free. Nobody owed anybody anything. You know, it's like in hide-and-seek, all the come free, you know? Uh, time out. And the whole idea of it is that during that six-year period, if someone had gotten into debt, maybe somebody had gotten really seriously sick and had had to sell his property or lease his property and uh, had to give away everything or to sell it to, to get just to stay afloat, or if a person was just being foolish and didn't plow his land and take care of things the way he should. Well, that seventh year, he could go, and the idea was that he could go and farm anybody's land that he wanted, the poor could. And so if you had some vineyards or some apple trees, during that year you were not to pick anything, but the poor of the land could come and pick. And it was very possible they could pick your own apples and then turn around and sell them to you. But the whole idea was to give everybody who was in poverty a year to get out of their poverty, to everybody get back on their feet, and in the eighth year, the number of new beginnings. Well, during that time, of 490 years of being in the Promised Land, not one time did the children of Israel ever give of that tithe of that seventh year. But for 490 years, God didn't say anything. Now, that's pretty patient. 
I'm usually about one second. <laughs> the guy in front of me, the light turns green. I start honking, hey, move, hey, get out of my way, you know? Got places to go and people to see and things to do, you know? But for 490 years, God said nothing. He reminded them through His Word and they knew. Finally, on the 490th year, God said, it's time to pay up. Now, the fact they were unwilling to give was a spiritual condition, and that spiritual condition continued to escalate until at 490 years, that was not their only sin. That was just a sign that their heart was unwilling to give to God. Their heart was unright with God in a lot of ways. And so at that time, there was a lot of paganism in the country, and there was a lot of reasons, but God said, that's it. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to wipe you guys out. They're going to level this city. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. And for 70 years, all you guys are going to be kicked out of the land. Now, if you figure out how many seventh years there are in 490 years, there's 70 of them. So, you're not going to get that seventh year one way or another, whether I take it from you or whether you give it. But it's not going to be yours at all. So those seventh years that you didn't give up, I'm now demanding them of you. And so for, for 70 years, you're going to be in captivity, in bondage, in persecution, and in hardship, and out of the promised land because you're unwilling. God's an extremely patient God. He gives all kinds of room for people to change. But then the day comes. Time to hold an account. We see that end time story in Matthew 25 where he says it's like a master who goes away and he gives one man five talents. He gives another three talents. He gives another one talent. And he goes away. And for a long time, he's gone. And then he returns and he says, okay, where are the talents? And the one man who had five had ten in its place. And he says, well done. And then he took to the man who had three and he had six in his place. And he says, well done. And he went to the man who had one. He goes, oh, well, I know. Now, the Bible tells us that man figured that the master wasn't coming back. He figured it, you know, he's gone for good and I'm just going to go ahead and live the way I want and, and not be a good steward of this talent, which was a name of a piece of money. Should have said that. <laughs> Thought they uh, had a Broadway act or something. I, I don't know. Piece of money called a talent. And so that man, he says, well, you know, I knew you were a hard man and so I actually went out and I buried it. And now here's your one talent back. Right. If you knew I was a hard man, you knew I was a man who was going to be demanding when I came back, you should at least put it in the bank and got some interest off it. I mean, you should have something to show for it. He says, take that man's one talent and give it to the man who has ten and take that man and throw him into outer darkness where there is weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Jesus tells another story, and I actually want to read it to you in Matthew chapter 24, if you'll turn there with me. 
Matthew chapter 24. Who then is a faithful and a wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying in his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkenness. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When a man's heart begins to think that the way he's living, that what he's saying, that what he's doing is not being dealt with by God, so therefore God's not going to deal with it. That man is a fool. He's unaware that God is actually giving that person time to change, time to repent. And the Thyatira church was in that group. Now actually, looking back in Revelations chapter 2, verse 19, God says, now I know your works. The love, the service, the faith, your patience or your perseverance, your keeping on. And as your works, well, the last are more than the first. You guys are increasing in your works. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and beguile my servants to commit social immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into the sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So, at this time, and when we are talking about sexual immorality here, it's actually a spiritual immorality that's taking place a dilution of the church, the church being deceived by false teachings. Now, it's actually, this book is written, at least the first part, in the Jewish understanding. And if you know in the Old Testament, there was a gal by the name of Jezebel. Judah, which was Israel, the kingdom of the Jews, actually, after Solomon, broke into two tribes into two separate countries, into two separate kingdoms. One of the kingdoms was called Judah, which was the lineage of David, and righteousness seemed to reign there. Most of their kings were pretty right on guys, except for a few of them. And then there was the country of Israel, which almost every king was wicked. And one of the last of that tribe was a guy named Ahab. And he married a foreign woman by the name of Jezebel, and she brought in the Baal worshippers. That's the time during the time of Elijah. And the temple had been reconstructed into a bell worship. All that was going on was bell worship. And as a matter of fact, if you worshipped the true and living God, the God of the Jews, they would kill you. And Elijah, who was a prophet of God, came out and he took the prophets of Baal, there's 400 of them, he said, hey, let's make a sacrifice and call fire out of heaven. So the bell worshippers, they, they had their sacrifice and they began to pray that 
Baal would bring fire out of heaven and they began to cut themselves. And Elijah, he started making fun of him. He said, guys, call out or maybe he's on the bathroom, going to the bathroom or something. Why don't you cut yourself more? You know, maybe he's asleep and that'll wake him up. Making fun of them and no fire came out of heaven. When it came to Elijah's sacrifice, he dumped ten barrels of water. Make sure it was no accident. Make sure it was truly a move of God. And he said, God, do it to it. And God called a great fire and it hit that sacrifice and it licked up all the water around it and there was nothing left. Then Jezebel said, then, he, then Elijah rose up and said, Hey, kill these prophets. And all the people rose up and killed the appointed prophets. And he says, Choose you today. Is it Baal or is it God? Make a decision and make it now. And then Jezebel said, Send a word to Elijah said, I'm going to kill you. And he flees off into the wilderness. And there God dealt with him, which is another story. And so there is a woman which is symmetry in this case, a symbol of apostasy coming into the church, a false teaching coming into the church. And people were embracing this false teaching and were actually, in a sense, going to bed with it. Now, in the Old Testament, there was also a teaching that there were certain things that could go in your mouth and certain things that could not go in your mouth. And there was pork and certain animals that couldn't be ate. And there's a long list in the Levitical law that you couldn't eat. And he's saying that these teachings and these doctrines are going in your mouth, which is a sign that they're swallowing it, they're eating it up. That they're saying, oh man, this is what I needed. Oh, this is so great. And God's saying that He's given time for these teachers who are teaching this stuff to repent, but they're not. And so God's causing a sickbed, causing them literally to be physically ill, that they would change. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you turn over to the left a little bit, that this is a principle of God to allow people to judge themselves and to repent. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Starting in verse 27, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, taking communion unworthily. Verse 28, And let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, For this reason... Many are weak and sick among you, and even many sleep. They've, they've died, in other words. They were killed. And in verse 31, For if we ju would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So these false teachers are actually Christians. They are born again. God's Spirit lives in them. But they've been deceived, and now they are deceiving others. And so God is punishing them with this sickness, saying to repent. And if they won't repent, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5, their body would be destroyed, that their soul would be saved. And so 
here in this situation. They're getting sick and he's giving them time to repent, but they won't repent. And again, what's happening to the children, we find in verse 23, and I will kill her children. In other words, people who have come into the church because of these teachings, he says they're not going to be right with God. They're going to be put to death, which means the second death. They're going to be cast into hell. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of according to your works. But to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, and who have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I will put you, put on you no other burden. But he goes on to say that he's going to cast them into the tribulation period to those who don't repent. Back up in verse 22. So indeed, he's caused them to be sick, and those who commit this adultery uh, are going to be in a great tribulation period. They're going to be not right with God. They're not going to be raptured up with the church unless they repent. Now, again, God is so gracious. We find in the book of Jude that he tells us not, he gives a long list. It's a book right before Revelation. It's written by one of the Lord's brothers. It's actually a one chapter book. And he gives a list of things not to fall into in the last days. And the very last part, he actually says not to get caught up with the world. And he says those who have, he says to pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments that they've defiled by the flesh. And then also in 1 John chapter 2, he says that there are going to be many who shrink away in shame at the appearing of the Lord. Now, interesting, the first church had the right doctrine. The church in Ephesus, they had the right doctrine, but they had lost their first love. And then you have the next church that had the right doctrine, but they were puttering out. They weren't able to persevere to the end because they had not made a full commitment to God. And so God's Spirit wasn't in them, allowing them to go through trials. And when trials came up, they would murmur and complain, and so God would take the heat off. And so they never really came to the place to see they had not made a firm commitment to God. And they weren't ready for the end times. And they were uh, hurt by the second death, cast into hell. In the last church we saw again, uh, this church again had good teachings, had good doctrines, but the um, false religions were beginning to dilute them. And now we come to a church who has everything right. The works are there, the love is there, the service is there, the faith is there, the perseverance is there, but what's happening? You have these false teachings coming in. And what's happening to the false teachings? It's causing the believers who are hearing it, they're not able to store up any good works towards God. But then the people that are coming into the church who are hearing this, they don't know God at all. They have some other form of a Jesus. Now, Christianity actually is so simple, a child can do it. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'll turn there now,
Excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 11. You knew that's what I meant, I'm sure. And this is a time with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when people were coming, teaching other things. And in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, in other words, I have led you to Christ, to Jesus Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear that somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted with the simplicity that is in Christ. And if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And this is what's happened to the church in Thyatira. They were a type of church who had a lot of love, had a lot of works, but when it came to the faculties of the mind, it was basically whatever makes you feel good must be true. And then if you'll turn over to Galatian, also just turn the page, just a couple of pages, literally about four or five pages, you'll come to Galatians chapter 1. In verse 6, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and the people that were preaching the gospel, Peter, anybody, or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches other, other gospel to you than what we have received, you have received, let him be accursed. And then over in 1 John, we see the same thing there in chapter 2. In 1 John, right before the book of Revelations, in chapter 2, in verse 18, he says there, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, false messiahs, false gospels, have come by which now, which we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. 
These things I've written to you concerning those who try, good word, to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. The bottom line there is in verse 24. God's Spirit lives in you, and God's Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit what is true. You know the gospel that you heard when you came to the Lord. You know if it's of the same Spirit. And if it's not, he's saying, reject it and just go to the Lord. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, in the last days, men are going to go to the east, they're going to go to the west, they're going to go to the north, they're going to go to the south, and they're not going to hear the Word of God preached. And when it comes right down to it, no church is better than a bad church. We find that in 1 John. He says, hey, those people are teaching you, they're deceiving you. Don't listen to them. You just go straight to God's Word and listen to the Holy Spirit. An interesting point, though, he says in Hebrews 25, don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. So there's no doubt in my mind, the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, the more the gospel message is going to be so diluted, it's going to be so watered down, or it's going to be so deceptive, it's going to bring in every type of teaching in the world, you know, and you have the churches today. There's a large church over here not too far in town. Every Sunday the guy teaches on temperaments or on personality traits or on what this psychologist said or that psychologist said. I was talking to a guy a while back. He goes, it's amazing. You guys actually open the Bible and go verse by verse. Because that pastor there, maybe, not usually, but sometimes he'll throw a verse in there or maybe at the very last of the sermon he'll say, open up your Bible or he'll just say, look at your bulletin and, and read a verse. And that's it. And somehow it's supposed to tie into all the hubba-jubba he said. And then you got the other churches who basically say, oh, I'm a prophet and I have this prophecy of revelation. Don't think about it. Don't compare it to God's Word. Just you receive it. And some of these times, these men have incredible power because Satan's a great deceiver. He often comes as an angel of light trying to deceive people. But there's no doubt in my mind that in a lot of people's minds who don't take the Bible as God's Word, other things fit fine. You have a lot of the New Age teaching which basically teaches that in us is a God. And through meditation and transcendental meditation or through the right kind of diet or through the right kind of positions your body can be in or through the right kind of crystals or whatever, you can come in touch with that God that's within you. So, do you believe in God? Of course I believe in God. God's everywhere. Of course God's everywhere. God's in me. Are you a born-again Christian? Yes, I am. God's Spirit lives in me. Yeah, I know. God lives in me too. You see how you can start saying the words. I have a cousin. Her mom died, chain smoker, died when she was about 11 years old. Neighbor next door, a Mormon family, took her in, cooked her meals, cleaned her clothes. Proselyter, she became a Mormon. Now, when she talks to you 
about salvation, redemption, sanctification, Jesus being God, all of these things, it sounds identical to what you would say, but yet the definitions are completely different. When you say Jesus is God, yes, He's God. Of course, He's a God of many gods. We're all going to be a God someday. And then you start trying to point out, saying, well, hold it. You know, the Book of Mormon said Jesus had three wives and that those wives had kids. And so Jesus actually has a lineage himself passing on. And Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, was one of the great ancestors of Jesus Christ himself. Now, the Bible doesn't say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't have all the information. It has some revelation in it, but there's more revelation given today. It, did it say that Jesus wasn't married? Yeah, sure did. Makes it very clear to me. He had no wife. Well, what about, and I can full on point out that there's scriptures in there that says there is no other God except Jesus Christ. Well, now let me tell you. There are contradictions because man wrote the Bible. And, you know, Joseph Smith was a man and he, you know, when he interpreted off those gold tablets from the Egyptian writing, you know, he didn't have everything perfectly down. And so we realize there's a lot of contradictions in, in our Bibles. That's okay. Let's not get all uptight. You know, that was the Pharisees' problems. They were all legalistic. Hold on, we're not talking about legalism at all. Legalism is where I put a law on you. We're not talking about laws. We're talking about Scripture. And my Bible says it doesn't contradict from Genesis to Revelations. If you say you have a word from God, then it cannot contradict what God has already spoken because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But yet Mormons, they have dropped their Mormon name. They will only talk of themselves now as the Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. That's the only way they'll present themselves. And all their material they put now, they put Christian on it. They don't want to be known anymore as a Mormon church. All those Mormon things are dropped from all their pamphlets and everything else. And of course, you have all of the religions of the world basically accept all religions. You go to the Muslims. They accept Jesus Christ as a good prophet. You go to the Hare Krishnas. Oh, Jesus was a wonderful teacher. And basically, there are a lot of factions... You know, they, it's called the Ecumenical Council. That once a year they get together and they all have all the religions of the world get together and they just concentrate on love. There's a lot of churches. When I was out at the prison, the chaplain there, Chaplain Brewer, raised up in the... Um, what are those guys that wear the uniforms? I'm spacing right now. Salvation Army. Raised up in that. But you know, liberal as can be, he basically was pretty well set that Muslims went to heaven as well as anybody else. And they had ecumenical times to get together where the Jewish rabbi was there and the Muslims were there. And, you know, uh, I got pressure on me from the warden to get all the religions together and all to get along. Well, more and more that's happening. Bills are being passed all the time that basically is as it stands right now. If I needed to hire, a, let's say we had a Christian school, and I needed to hire a teacher, and there was a guy who said he was Mormon or Muslim or homosexual 
or whatever, I could not discriminate from hiring him because of any of those reasons. I'd have to come up with another reason. And if I couldn't, either I let him teach in our Christian school or we get sued, you know, the, the sky's the limit. And it's happened already. It is happening. There's actually uh, factions now that, that homosexuality is trying to become a minority group. Like the women have their minority movement and the blacks and the Mexicans and, and a lot of those for good reasons because they were being suppressed. But the homosexuals now, they see themselves as suppressed. And so therefore they want to be a minority, a political minority group. They've already tried to pass law every year and they're going to try it again this year. You know how you have a big company of thousands of people where you have to have so many women, so many people of every race, so many handicapped people work for you? That you would have to have so many homosexuals working for you and so many homosexuals with AIDS working for you. So they'd say, hey, you know, you only got two people with AIDS working for you. You better up it a couple more people. You better go find a couple more people who have AIDS. That is what they're passing. And as silly as it seems right now, it's almost passed every year in the last couple of years. So good is evil and evil is good. And logical is totally illogical. But the thing is, is it makes total sense to people who are staring at these pieces of paper of all these different laws and regulations coming in. And so it's very possible that any day that they could tell us what we could or could not preach, just like in Russia. And when that time comes, let's fellowship, but it'll be underground. It'll be basically Christians getting together and saying, let's just worship and get in the Word. And you'll definitely be a heavy time of persecution. But you know, really, that's the whole idea now in the church. You know, with our church, the way we're set up, you know, a lot of times people are offended, you know, that we don't have an offertory, you know, we don't have a special song during the time of the offering, that we don't have special music after our three hymns, and that I don't stand up and preach in a robe, or I don't have, you know, the sermon voice. Brethren, we need to worship the Lord with all our hearts as the psalmist David. You know, I've got to bore you to death with some tone of voice. I just can't talk to you like I talk to somebody else. And it's offensive to a lot of people. But the idea is, you know, we have some worship and we get in the Word. It's that simple. And then afterwards, we try to hug each other and love each other and pray for each other. And a few moments we have together and then we go back out into our busy schedules and trying to live for the Lord and serve Him. Well, the church in Thyatira had a weak mind. It blows my mind how weak-minded people are who are not in God's Word. It says, whoever mind is stayed upon thee will be kept in a perfect peace. Apart from Christ, we have no wisdom of our own. The wisest thought that man has ever thought is foolishness to God. The most foolish thought that God has ever thought is complete wisdom compared to man.
The Bible says, as we meditate on God's Word, then we'll have a, light in, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It's only as our mind is kept in God's Word and being renewed in God's Word can we think logically without thinking with our hearts. Now, I think our emotions are great. Our heart is great. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. So, you know, when my football team scores, I don't say, Oh, good. Now it's 7-2-0. I don't just, with my mind, rejoice in that. All right, yeah. In the same way, when I start singing about God's love and His mercy and how good it is to be here singing with you all, Man, I want to sing it out and boy, lift my hands and with my heart and my emotions and everything that I have, I want to praise the Lord. I don't want to just sing with my mind. I want to sing with everything. But when it comes time to the teaching, it needs to first go into your mind. And then, after it's been discerned and sifted through and understood, then it can go into the heart. That's what God's meant it to be. But what happens when people aren't into God's Word, they're hurting. They just got through sinning, or they just got through with a bad relationship, or they just got through an argument, or they just had a bad day at work, and, oh man, I just, oh, I need, I'm just hurting, and they flip on the TV. And I, I see some of these guys on TV, and they are so stupid looking. I mean, literally, there's a couple of guys, and this Robert Tilton guy. The first time I, I turned and I, I saw him, I thought it was Saturday Night Live. I honestly did. I thought, oh man, I, I was laughing at it and I thought, these guys have really gone too far. There's nobody on there doing that. I mean, come on. They're going a little extreme. And then I realized, this guy's real. I can't believe it. But you know Robert Tilton brings in almost twice as much compared to all the other idiots? This guy literally brings in millions of dollars a day. As stupid and as phony and as unrealistic as this guy is. And I mean, he just comes out and just says the most heretical things. And then you've got other guys that, again, you know, a lot of us, we, we feel inferior about the way we look. We feel inferior about our job, or we feel inferior about the house we live in, or the kind of car we drive in. And basically, when somebody drives a nice car, it's like, wow, well, you're somebody. Somebody lives in a nice area in a big house, like, wow, I respect that person. Somebody's really nice looking, it's like, yeah, I'll listen to you, because you're a nice looking person. I, I don't mind looking at you. I don't mind listening to you. That's the truth. And so here comes Copeland, or Hagen, or Copenhagen, or who in the heck they are. And they full on start saying that they are a god. That's what they teach. Call CRI, they have it on tape. Hagen says, I am God. And you are God. We are equal to Jesus Christ himself. There is God. And then there is all the other gods. 
There really isn't a trinity. Once we get there, there's going to be a quatrinity and then a synchronity. And then the time we get there, there's going to be all the saints. And, the, you know, there's really no trinity. There's God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And then all us sons of God. We're all gods equal to Jesus Christ. Which is what First John says, those who deny Jesus is the, the. That's an important word. That's an important article. As in the only. There is no other. But yet these guys out and out preach heresy. Talked to a guy just about three weeks ago on the phone. He's been in the Calvary Chapel movement for 20 years. But he's, he's a shy type of guy. And he's always on the out fringe. And actually when he was in our church before he moved up North County, I got to be pretty good friends with him. But I actually challenged him several times, several times on his feeble-mindedness. He wanted to teach a home fellowship at one point. He actually was teaching one at Horizon. And he came down here and wanted to teach one. I just didn't feel comfortable with it because he was feeble-minded. He basically did not want to think through things and have to study and, and to challenge heresy. And he says, you know, I always get kicked to the outskirts of the church and I never really get on the inside and... You know, and I invite him to the leadership meetings and so forth. And he says, you know, I've been getting up every morning at 6 o'clock watching. Now, I, now Brian, don't, don't get on me, you know. But this guy, have you watched him lately? I mean, he, I mean, there's some things in there he says that aren't quite right. But man, I'll tell you, he has so ministered to my heart. I have been so healed in the last six weeks since I've been watching to him. And you know, the Bible says that there in Corinthians, to those who feed you, that they should get the money to be supported by. And there in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, if a person makes a tent, then they should get money to keep making tents. The same way if somebody preaches the gospel, they should get money to keep preaching the gospel and so forth. So he says, you know, I've just been tithing and sending offering. You know, I never knew I could give so much money because I've been giving to this guy. Because I've been so ministered. I got all his tapes and all this. And I said, Charlie, do you know that guy teaches? And I, I went into it and I actually had some information and and I started reading it to him. Oh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I said, look, they have the tapes on this. This is documentation. This isn't an idea. He's taught this repeatedly. He goes, well, yeah, actually I did hear him say a little bit of that kind of stuff. But, you know, you just can't get all uptight. There's nobody who's 100% correct. I said, look, I'm not 100% correct, but I am not teaching heresy. There's a big difference. But yet there are people who are unwilling to love God with their mind, with their heart, with their soul, yes. And the church in Thyatira, God had given them time to repent, but they did not repent. The Christians who started embracing this heresy, God caused them to be sick. And he says, unless you repent of holding on to these deeds, he says that the people who have come to Christ through this are going to be in the tribulation period, who are going to be touched by the second death. He says there in verse 23, they're going to be killed with death. And he says, All the churches shall know that I am he who searches, notice this, the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Friends, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we have to study to show ourselves approve a workman and a God rightly dividing the word of truth. God is holding each of you responsible to knowing the truth. 
And if you say, well, so-and-so taught me, if I just go to the confessional, or if I just, you know, give my penance, or I just go to church, I'm like, hey, it doesn't matter what some person's come in and added to God's Word or changed around. You personally are going to be held accountable to know what Genesis to Revelation says. And if there's are books of the Bible you haven't read, you better get busy. And if you've been a Christian more than a year and you have not read Genesis Revelations, you need to put your TV in the closet. You need to put your radio in the closet. You need to quit your volleyball team and bowling team and basketball team and whatever's on. And you better get busy studying God's Word. You've just enrolled in HSS, the Holy Spirit Seminary. He's going to begin teaching you the things you need to know. Each of us are called to be ministers. People call me the pastor. Okay, so I am. I'm leading you through God's Word. But all of us are called to be ministers, an equally important part of the body of Christ. Whether it's to be an evangelist, or if it's to be a teacher of your own children, or a Sunday school teacher, or to be a deacon, which is the technical things in the church, all of us have to know. Now, let me make a balance here that we're not academically only worshiping God. Christianity isn't a solely academic feat. We're to love God with our heart, and our soul, and our emotions, and everything as well. But it's not, not bypass the mind. And many of the Pentecostal churches today, I just had a four-square pastor over my house last Saturday and his family and tried to minister to him for a while and and I just told him, I just said, you know, Pentecostal church and especially out of the four-square that I see they're getting off, they're just getting into heresy. Some of them are really solid. And he goes, I'm ashamed to be a part of that denomination right now and I'm getting ready to break off. Because of these very reasons, People saying, well, there's so much fruit in the guy's ministry, although he's teaching heresy. You cannot do that. The heresy has to be dealt with. And give him room to repent. Right before Walter Martin died, he went up to see um, oh, the guy, the, guy the, the pastor of the large black church up in L.A. Um, Price. Price, thank you. And... Uh, went into these little God doctrines and stuff and showed him, hey, this stuff is wrong. This is heresy. And, and showed him why. And he said, you know, um, I've really been searching the scriptures on this and you're absolutely right. And he goes, next Sunday I'm going to get up and I'm going to tell the people that this is wrong. And he did. And uh, Walter Martin made note of that and, and praised him for that. And so it's so neat to repent. It's so easy just to say, God, I've been wrong. Lord, I, I see this is incorrect. In the same way, their, their deeds were wrong. If you've got wrong talk doctrine, you're going to have wrong living. Every single time it's going to happen. Because if you don't have the power of the God's truth, Jesus said, you'd, you'd bite in my word, you know the truth, and the truth is what would set you free. And so if you're not being set free daily through God's word, you're going to be in bondage. And he goes on to say there in verse 24, And as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I will put on you no other burden. 
Again, the trickery of the devil, the depths of the devil and his deceiving. But behold, he says, hold fast what you have till I come. Hold on to the truth. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to whom I will give power over the nations, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and potter's vessels shall be broken in pieces, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hold on, folks. You know the Spirit of God is in you. You can know this, His truth. His Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. We had a family reunion just a few months ago. I wasn't able to make it. I had a new baby. But my cousin, who's a Mormon, came down. And she's just a real lovable gal. She's a real likable gal. She's everybody's friend. And all my Christian family who go to Christian churches said, oh, she has to be saved. She has to be a Christian. And I just started challenging them, saying, look, it is true that you have to have a sincere and right heart. And I believe she has that. But you also have to have the truth. It's the truth that saves. It's the Word of God, not the Word of Joseph Smith and the supposed gold tablets that were never found and the supposed false teachings. The Mormons, you know, they claim to have all this archaeological data. There's none. You know, you look in the Bible, there's talks about denariuses and talents and Romans and Jerusalem and Asia and Rome. We, every single archaeological type of money has been found. We have it today. We can show you an ancient denarius. We can show you the country of Rome and Asia and where Paul and Jesus. When they start talking about Americus and all these different people groups and all the different types of money, not one of them is found anywhere. There's no truth in it. Smithsonian Institute, time and time again, has gone to the Mormon church saying, show us. Do you got some archaeological evidence to show that there is some groups here that lived and we have no record of them? Show them to us. They don't have any. They're believing a lie. And as sincere and as beautiful as her heart is, she has not yet known the truth, and the truth has not saved her. She is not born again. And you need to not grab her and say, oh, it's so good that we're all Christians here. You need to challenge her. She was here on my third child. She came and visited me. And, and there, she had been with me two or three days. And the Sunday before she left, I, I said, Penny, you know, I, I really like to talk to you a minute. And I had a, pulled out my Mormon file and I had a sheet that compared the Bible with the Book of Mormon, with the Pearl of Great Price, with the Doctrine of Covenants, which is a Mormon books. And I said, look, here's where they contradict. She would not look at it. And I said, look, it says you're all going to be a God somewhere. Look over here where it says that we'll never be a God, that Jesus alone is God. She was unwilling to look. She went to tell my family that I'll, I'd beat up on her. Oh, Brian was just, and I was as gentle and loving. My wife was there with me. And all the family was going, oh, Brian, she's so nice, you know, and I know you can be so overpowering sometimes. <laughs> I said, you know, I know I can be, but I wasn't. I am, that is my personality, but I wasn't. We've got to be careful not to embrace false teaching. And if you've been taught things, and now you've come into this church, maybe you're here tonight, 
You've never really been taught Christianity. And you've been living in sin, and you know it. You know that you're not right with God. You know your sins aren't forgiven. You feel, even now as I'm speaking, the guilt of that sin. I want you to use your mind a minute and to hear that God says He's giving time to repent. And He says unless they repent of their deeds. Have you repented and said, God, black is black, gray is gray, white is white, and I know that I have sinned and I'm agreeing with you. This is right and this is wrong. And I'm agreeing with you. Every time what you say is what I say. And Christ says that there is one way to heaven. There's only one way to have eternal life. And that's through Jesus Christ and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. And until you make that statement, Lord Jesus, I have sinned and my sin is separated from me from you and I know that I'm not going to make it to heaven. As much as I want to feel that I'm making to heaven, make, you know, 80% of America feels they're going to heaven, but yet tonight use your mind and to see that unless you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to be touched by hell and you're going to live there for eternity. And you need to come to the place to realize that I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. And there's these people here who knew the Lord but were being swayed into false teaching. And then the people who had come under that false teaching, they did not know God. And he's saying, unless they repent, I will kill her children with death. The people who have grown up under that system are going to go to hell. Have you been raised up under the system of the world, the New Age teaching, the let's just love everybody teaching, or maybe Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, or maybe into some other cult in the United Pentecostal group, or under the Church of Christ, which teaches baptism as a way of washing away your sins? I'll tell you, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ and receiving Him only. Let's bow our heads.